Interested in energetics, intention, alignment, integrity, and ethics? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Sacred Leadership Podcast. This space is for you to gain inspiration, wisdom, and knowledge from exceptional leaders to support you in your leadership journey. I'm your host, Amber Gordon, trained therapist and intention and alignment coach here to ask all the deep questions to get the raw truths. Settle in, take a breath, set your intention for what you're open to receiving from this episode, because it is time to drop in. Welcome back to the Sacred Leadership Podcast. I am beyond thrilled, truly, to have a dear friend joining me today, Shardell. Shardell Hodge-Matthews is a licensed marriage and family therapist and relationship coach born and raised in Los Angeles, California. She is the founder and CEO of Lighthouse Perspective, and it's a coaching platform that has been established to shift perspectives for singles and couples on how to create, embrace, strengthen, and reinforce healthy relationships within themselves, their partners, their interpersonal relationships, and their relationship with God. As a millennial, Shardell thrives in focusing on identifying and facing emotions, insight building, self-awareness, and thought reframing from a realistic viewpoint and a Christian foundation. Shardell's overall mission is to help individuals and couples achieve the things that seem impossible by providing a space full of compassion, support, and understanding to explore a different perspective. Yes! Shardell, this is really exciting for me because I love talking to fellow therapists. I also love talking to fellow therapists who have their foot in the coaching arena as well, um, because I feel like that's like a whole, you know, animal in and of itself. It's a whole different beast. (laughs) A whole different beast. Uh, (laughs) So we could definitely touch on that a little Mm -hmm. bit. But I know that for you, relationships have really been a cornerstone of your calling, your soul mission, your purpose here. And it wasn't necessarily always the case. You Mm -hmm. started out professionally going in a little bit of a different direction. And then through a series of events and, you know, also listening to yourself, you were able to do some shifting to feel more in alignment with what it is that you're truly here to do and help with. Um, So just going back in time a little bit, can you start me out in terms of like, you know, why did you decide to get into therapy and helping people? And where did that even evolve into coaching? Okay. Wow. So we are going to have to go backwards. We're going to go back. Go back in time. Everyone get in your time machine. (laughs) Seriously. We're going to have to rewind. Um, So I never imagined, honestly, wanting to get into the mental health world at all. Um, I never knew this about no, you. You, I feel like you were such not, a natural. I'm like, she came out the womb and was like no, looking to be a therapist. That's what I wanted at oh, all. It was wow. not anywhere on my brain space. Um, I actually wanted to be an OBGYN. I wanted to deliver babies literally since first grade. Um, my mom was a nurse midwife. So she came, we're really rewinding, right? For context purposes. Um, she came to my first grade class with this like birth chart of how a baby develops from, you know, fertilization on to nine months, right? And all of my first grade, like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Which now in this society, we wouldn't even be able to do that, which I think is really weird. Um, but whatever. So she came in, she explained the birthing system and I just fell in love. And so from that point, literally until I graduated from college, my whole agenda was getting into medical school. Um, Bachelor's in biology, went to a math and science high school, like everything that I did was with the intention of med school. Um, Until 
2014. So I had taken, I graduated from college. I had studied for my MCAT. Um, I had taken it for the first attempt. So I was getting ready to restudy and do all the things. Um, and I ended up having a house fire. Um, and in that house fire, I lost all of my study materials. Um, I lost literally everything of my possession because the fire actually started in my room. Um, so all of my things were pretty much gone. And it's really hard. You don't realize the kind of fog you get into when you have a major kind of trauma like that. Um, yeah. But it really set me back on being motivated to restudy, being motivated to want to get into med school and go through school again in the sciences. It completely just dismantled my dream. Um, and it was really hard for me because I had to step back and say, okay, well, if you can't help people in the medical dimension, how else do you want to help people? Because that was still kind of the core of where I wanted to go. Um, and so I tried everything. I tried uh, ABA. I did autism for kids for a, a mm-hmm. little while. Um, I tried physical therapy because autism behavior therapy is really close to like OT. If we're mm-hmm. talking about, yep. like, you know, like living skills and adaptability and things like that. Um, so OT and autism were kind of an option. Um, I went into physical therapy and volunteered at Keck Hospital, right, to learn physical therapy and see if that was what I wanted to do. Um, and then that didn't really feel right either. And so I was sitting there and I'm like, OK, I need to go back to school. I understood that my bachelor's in biology just was not going to cut cut it in any direction. That's another kind of facade of going to universities is like, they tell you you're going to get out and have this like great job and everybody (laughs) is going to love your science degree. Um, And then you graduate with the bachelor's of biology and then they're like, well, what do you do with that? Right. So I'm like, I have to go back to school, but for what? And that was the big question mark. What was I going to be investing time and energy and brain space in that felt like Mm. me? Um, and everybody always talked to me. (laughs) I was kind of like the big mama bear of all of the groups where people would come and I'd give advice and I was just a really good listening ear. Um, and so I was like, well, why not psychology? It it really was one of those, like, why not? I know that I would probably do really well in psychology versus like all of the effort that sciences require. Um, I'm like, so why not? It's, it seems fun. It seems like something I already do. Um, and then I jumped in and it was amazing. <laughs> like it was one of those, like, why didn't I think of this before type of situations? Wow. Because everything just made so much sense in what my life was about. You kind of have to be very introspective when you go mm-hmm. into the master's for marriage and family th- uh, therapy. Um, because <laughs> every I was going to say, like, that has probably been one of the most humbling experiences. It was so humbling. Of my life. I just, and they, like, throw you right in, too. It's, like, literally, like, Genogram 101, and you're, like, looking at, like, three generations of your own family, and you're, like, oh. What kind of trash have I walked into? (laughs) But, I mean, it's, it's amazing. But you have to be ready for the coursework to break you down. You know what I mean? Um, Because you don't realize like, oh, let's talk about couples therapy. Let's talk about kids. Let's talk about family trauma. Let's talk about all of the theories of psychology and how they apply. And I mean, when you're actually going through it, you don't even realize that you're checking yourself. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what happened. It's I went through the program and I personally grew which I I was more expecting of like an easy way through school, easy way through a master's psychology. Everybody goes through with psychology. So when I went in, it wasn't with the intention of personal growth. 
when I got out, so much of my life had changed. Like I, Mm. the way that I saw even my relationships. So that's another big thing, right? How we got into coaching. Um, I was in a relationship. I got into a relationship actually right after my house fire. Um, Hindsight is 2020. I probably should not have done that (laughs) because I was still very much in a brain fog. But, you know, I wanted to date. I was out of school. I had focused all of my time on my education. So dating wasn't really a thing for me until after graduating from college. Um, And so I kind of got swept up in a whirlwind of this relationship that I didn't realize was stripping me from my identity in Mm. the meantime of me going to school and learning my identity. So I was kind of going through this tussle of, okay, let's process your life. Let's process your childhood. Let's process your relationships. Let's process how you're feeling right now, right? Um, And so I found myself skirting around a lot of what was true for me and saying like, okay, well, I can hide this, but I can help other people. And I can protect this, but I can project this onto other people and help other people. Um, And so I remember my very first client. I remember one of my professors were like, you're never going to forget your first client. And I will never forget her. Um, Her initials actually were OG, which I think is like top two. (laughs) That's amazing. Um, (laughs) Right. And she actually came in and she was married to a very narcissistic man. She was going through a divorce. She had kids. Um, and so I'm sitting in, you know, with her and I'm helping her and she's crying and things are triggering me that I don't understand. Right. And so I'm going to supervision and they're like counter transference and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't even understand. I'm not married to a narcissist. Right. I don't have kids. This wasn't my childhood. So I'm like trying to check off all of these reasons why I felt so deeply about how she was feeling. Um, And so I remember when she first came in, I had my, uh, I was, was I married already? Yeah, I think I had already gotten married to my ex. Um, And so I had my ring on and she was questioning everything. Are you married? Do you have kids? Blah, 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 blah. Right. And I'm like, oh, freshly married, no kids. And so she's like, oh, you can't help me. Right. Mm -hmm. Because she had, she was completely different in spectrum from me. Um, So let's fast forward like six months later. I no longer had my ring on and she came in uh, and she's like, I think I'm ready to terminate. And she was happy and she was flourishing in comparison to six months before where she, all she did was cry for the 60 minutes. She was in my office. She just cried and and she'll say a couple of words and then she'd cry. Um, And we talked about support systems and we talked about relationships and we talked about all of the things, right. To get her back to her identity Um, And I would say things to her in these sessions and I would drive home like, pretty sure what I said was for me. (laughs) And it was it was weird complex because then I realized how I was feeling about her was almost like a foreshadow of what I thought my future was. And so, right, it was heavy. And it was one of the things that kind of chipped away at me through my process with her. Where when she finally came in and she was like, oh, yeah, I'm done. And I wasn't even expecting her to close on me. Right. And so I was like, what? You're done. You feel good. And she's like, yeah. And then she looked at my hand and she's like, wait a minute. (laughs) Where's your ring? And so I had to realize, like, okay, this is a real moment now. Right. Between me and my client 
where six months ago she was questioning me, questioning my relationship skills, questioning all these things. And now she's better. She's happy. She's thriving. She's dating. She's doing all these things. And then my ring is off of my finger. Right. Um, And so I said to her, you know, I didn't realize it before, but you helped me more than I helped you. Because in me trying to help her learn herself, identify her feelings, identify who was really there for her, like, you know, really shed all of those negative effects that he had on her. I got to kind of flip that mirror on myself and say, like, Shardell, you're in the same boat. You're just not there yet. You're not at the point where you're at a nasty divorce and you're dealing with kids and you're like, you're just not there. Um, And so it was funny because when she actually wrapped up was when I graduated from my master's program. I had also called off my relationship. (laughs) Right. It was so much happening in the same space. But I realized at that point, like I was not paying attention to myself in the mm. midst of trying to help other people. And yep. so I had to, once I had the space, because you know, after getting out of your master's and not having practicum and not having all of the different elements of therapy that you have to do, you have so much time. You have so much downtime, so much space to just process out all of the work you've done in three years and all of the stuff. And that was the moment that I got to learn myself. I was finally living by myself. I had never lived by myself before. Um, I had lived with him for a certain amount of time. And so it was like, okay, now you're here. What, who are you? What, mm. what do you like? And I didn't know. I didn't know the answers to any of those questions. Because a lot of what I liked, a lot of my interests, a lot of the things that I had submerged myself into had everything to do with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and although there were different elements that were me, let's like music, for example, you know how much I love music and, you know, mm-hmm. music's contribution to my life. Um, a lot of my music was enmeshed with him. And so I had to detach from a lot of things that were also me, but they were us. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so what I had to do was learn me, like the relationship with me had to be first and foremost. Whereas before I cared way more about other people. I was like super social, super like whenever anybody needs me, I'm there. I'll drop everything. I'll come. And then it was kind of like, where are all these people for me? (laughs) Like where are people dropping what they're doing and coming and checking on me? The relationship element for me at that point on the personal level was just shot. Who are my support systems? Who can I talk to? Who knows who I am at my core, right? Who can pull me out of where I am? Because I didn't even realize, I didn't even realize like I was depressed. I didn't realize that all of the things, all of the residual things that I was experiencing from that relationship, what they were doing to me as a person. Um, And so it took a lot of effort to learn me. But then once I got that, I feel like all of my relationships kind of flourished after because then I understood like the people who are going to come and be around me actually want me. You know what I mean? Can actually see me. Um, Because clearly in the times before that, with me not knowing myself as well, what exactly Mm -hmm. were they around me for? Mm. (laughs) Yeah. And it was like, right. I was going to say that, that, and I think that that is something that a lot of people find themselves in, but also I will kind of go out on a limb here and say like people who, 
actively seek out helping professions, right? And I think that that's where we really, as people in helping professions, and it doesn't yeah. matter if you're a therapist or a coach or, you well, know, a physical therapist yeah. or like, right, if you're in a helping profession, teachers, right? Mm-hmm. If you are building your foundation around your need to be needed or getting that validation from your ability to help other people make other right. people feel good, right. that is going to be unaligned. It's eventually going to be it's unethical. Be you're going to have poor boundaries, right? Like all of that kind of stuff. And this is where, again, you were able to do the ethical thing, know that this client was activating things in you, seek yeah. out supervision. They were like, obviously there's something going on with something you. Was happening. Yeah. Right. You know, but that's, again, I have yeah. heard so many horror stories where people are like, my therapist is giving me advice. My therapist yelled at me. My therapist told yeah, me that just- they didn't like what I did. Right. And I'm like, well, that's because that person is bringing their shit like into yeah into your session Mm -hmm. and it has everything to do with them and nothing to do with you and that's not to say that as a therapist you can't be going through your own process obviously you're going to be still a human being right but what are you doing to make sure that you're maintaining those professional boundaries, right? right? It wasn't until the end that you actually had the space to say to that client, hey, you actually, you you helped me a lot, mm-hmm, you know, like, mm-hmm. and that was good because you got to empower that client. Right. But like, would it have been okay if, you know, in the middle of therapy, your client's giving you advice about Absolutely how to- not. Oh my gosh. I had that happen too in the same time period, which also was really mind blowing. Learning to be a therapist and your therapist projecting onto you. Ooh. Um, <laughs> which, again, <laughs> everything happened at the same time, mm-hmm. which clearly all was learning experiences. So I was supposed to learn it kind of simultaneously. Um, but my therapist did that. She was an amazing lady. Um, and I think, I'm again, sure, it like, again, very well intended, very right? Well, but in, intent versus impact, man. Yeah. I had so much going on in my relationship. And I didn't want to tell her everything. So I told her bits and pieces of uh-huh. what I felt comfortable enough to tell her without me looking crazy. Cause I, by that point I knew I looked crazy. Let me say that. Can you, can you explain that a little bit more? <laughs> yeah. So you know how you're in the midst of a relationship and everything is like roses and clouds and everything is perfect. And you're kind of naive floating through the experiences that you're having. So, um, Infidelity was the thing that we were struggling with in my past relationship, or mm-hmm. he was struggling with. I wasn't struggling. <laughs> you were struggling with him struggling, with, struggling with, it. with it. Um, so for a long time, I was in this bubble of like, that's not happening because he was communicating really well to me enough mm-hmm. for me to feel like nothing was happening, right? And so you have outside people like, that sounds crazy. That sounds like this. That sounds like that. And I'm like, well. What's being communicated to me doesn't sound as crazy. And so I'm rallying around, do I look naive or am I really looking like this is crazy? (laughs) So I had gotten to a point where like the blinders were starting to come off. Okay. And I was recognizing like, this does sound a little crazy. And so to go to a therapist, because I had to, you know, we have to do a, go to therapy for our program. So that was really the only reason why I had gone to the therapist was because. So and that's side note, that's because you're, you're in California. That's the yeah. only state that actually requires that really? in the United States. I yes. did not know that. Well, mm-hmm. yes. So California requires. Therapy. California requires that. Yep. Yeah. So it's a lot harder to get your license in California than any other state. I did not know that. I'm grateful mm-hmm. that I have it, <laughs> but I, I didn't. And there are different. Well, that's a whole conversation. But um, 
so it was it I went to her with kind of like I have to do this not that I want to do this so when I was giving her bits and pieces of my experience I left a lot of stuff out and so I saw her trying Mm. to build rapport with me (laughs) and she did that by telling me her stories and her experiences trying to make me feel like she understood but nothing she was talking about actually applied to me. <laughs> like, and she was super sweet and she tried really hard to be empathetic and I felt really bad. But what ended up happening was she told me so much about her personal life um, that her husband ended up passing away. And we she had a session, literally like the week after we had a session and I was in the chair wanting to therapy her. Because I knew so much about her relationship now. And I knew so much about her kids and their... Because again, she tried really hard to make me feel like she understood. So she overshared. Mm -hmm. And so when that session happened, this role flipped of like, why are you here? (laughs) Shouldn't you be grieving? How are you going through this week? How has it been for your kids? Because now I'm like, I care. You've shared so much about yourself to me. And I realized then that I couldn't see her again. Yep. Yeah. And that's actually like like, amazing that you even realized that. Dynamic shift done. I I actually even remember being like 13, 14 years old and being in therapy sessions where I was giving therapy to my therapist at 13, 14 years old. Yes. It will like, it happened over and over and over again because I am, you know, I've been very blessed in the sense Mm -hmm. that people feel very comfortable with me. They share with me a lot. It really works out great for my chosen profession. Mm -hmm. Um, But looking back on it, I'm like, wow, that was so incredibly unethical. Like there was just so many times that people would share. And I, I even like, you know, as an adult, when I was in therapy, I recognized me being a therapist to like my therapist. And Mm -hmm. I was really at the time I felt good right? Because I'm like, oh my gosh, like, look, I'm so amazing at helping people and listening. And I'm such an amazing therapist that even my therapist is coming to me. (laughs) Right. Even my therapist wants me as a therapist. (laughs) Right. You know, and now obviously looking back at it, I'm like, oh, that was horrible boundaries. That was super unethical. And like, also like kind of shame on them for modeling that as like an appropriate therapeutic relationship, because it is not. Because then you ended up carrying her stuff. Like on top of your own stuff, you're now carrying. Right. And like, that's, that is a, such a huge red flag. Like if yeah. you're in therapy and you feel like you can't say things to your therapist or you're filtering what you're saying to your therapist, or you're yeah. worried about how your therapist is going to respond react. or react to something. Right. right. Mm-hmm. We might need to reevaluate that mm-hmm. therapeutic relationship. Mm-hmm. Just saying. <laughs> and I tell people all the time, therapists are like kissing frogs. So if in yep. fact I needed the... Let me not say that. I did need the therapy. I did. In in all honesty, I wish I had found a great therapist in the midst Mm. of that because I think I would have been honest and I would have shared and I would have been able to really get to the core of what I was processing in my head myself because I was. I was rallying with myself about a lot of the things that was going on and I wish I had a sounding block. That wasn't my friends because my friends knew what was going on. And I talked to them. I mean, you know, I would call, I would cry. I would do all the things because they knew and they experienced the relationship with me on that level. 
but who do I talk to about what it feels like deep down? You know what I mean? Of like Mm -hmm. what this is going to do for me moving forward and the thoughts and the way that I'm thinking about men and relationships and wanting, because I had even got to the point where I was like, I'll just have a kid, (laughs) like bump the relationship thing, bump wanting to date. I don't even want to get married. Like I could be a single mom. I can do it. I can make them enough money. I can. And I got to the place at that point where I was like, there's no why. And I should have talked to somebody, right? Like I should have been able, but she just couldn't do it. <laughs> she, she just wasn't there for me at that, at that point. Um, and so I realized then with like the therapeutic relationship and all of that, like, this is not going to work if I'm carrying you as a therapist. And so, but like I was saying, I, I knew then that something was wrong. So that's the reason mm-hmm. I didn't want to share. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in trying to lean out, like, you know, ending the relationship and going through figuring out, also having to say, you know, go through the things that do pop into your head that are valid. Like maybe it was me. Maybe I did something to cause that to happen because we can't pretend like those thoughts don't pop up um, mm-hmm. of like, OK, well, if he is cheating or if he was cheating, oh, if it was multiple people. Did I do something? Was I, and you know, rallying through things that he would say and, you know, going mm-hmm. through all of the stuff. Um, and I remember way later, I ended up telling one of my friends because um, they, you know, they would say, oh, well, did you ever confront him? Who we're talking about being assertive, right? We're trying to figure out different things and having open communication. And I'm like, yeah, I did. Um, and I remember he had made a statement of like, nothing was wrong with you, but uh, the 10% that you are lacking, they had. And I was like, the numbers, the math ain't mathing. Like, nothing's wrong with me, 100%. Cool. But then 10%. <laughs> of something I don't have, they had, do they have the rest of the 90%? Like all the math wasn't mathing, but it's those kind of statements that ruminate. You know what I mean? Mm, those kind of statements mm-hmm. are what, cause then you're like, well, what is the 10%? What is, and so you start like right. chipping away at yourself a little bit of like, Okay, so if the next relationship, maybe what do I need to change? How do I need to adjust? Right. And you start losing you. You start losing yeah, that. Like if I was better, if I was different, if I was whatever. Now, like, though, right? Yeah. Like then you start going trying to sort through all of your decisions, and and it's it's such a bad loophole and spiral to get yourself in when you really want to be out. And so I recognized even in that moment, like I didn't want therapy necessarily. But I knew because I had gone through the masters of it, what I needed to do. So finding the support systems, my my best friends, like all, all of my best friends have different roles. Um, So I had like the best friend that liked to go hiking and wanted me like out. So we went to brunch, we went hiking, we went to those like pop-up museums that had like the Mm -hmm. picture booths and I mean, almost every other weekend, she made me take pictures. I hated what I looked like. I had gained so much weight, like aesthetically. Again, I just did. I wasn't myself. I wasn't who I really should have been. 
Um, and she's the one who's like, you're beautiful. We're taking pictures every other weekend. <laughs> like, that's what we're doing. Um, I had one best friend who literally would just lay around with me. I would cry. We'd watch TV. We wouldn't have to go anywhere, right? It's She's the homebody kind of friend. One of my best friends is a personal trainer. So he's like, you need to get up. You need to start working out. You need to start feeling good about yourself again. So it was like in that moment, I didn't realize, but I had refined my circle so well that in the midst of trying to find myself, those relationships started to like pull me out. Like, that's not you. You're not this. Don't let that relationship do that to you. And so me, myself, in my private space of my quiet and whatever, I'm like validating myself. Like, okay, you're this, you're that. And then I had friends, right, that kind of came in and they're like, okay, now go do this and go do that. And so I didn't have to learn myself over again alone. Because I knew at the core of it, they knew me before that relationship. They knew me years before. So they knew my interests. They knew the things that made me laugh. They knew like all of that without me having to remind them. Yeah. Yeah. And so they really like built me back up <laughs> Yeah, in such a beautiful way, because then I didn't even like, I could really say like, that was my past. I don't even know who that girl was. The girl who always wanted to be out, the girl who always wanted to be in everybody's faces and always wanted to be one call away. Like I'm not even her anymore, but mm. to the people that really love me and reciprocate energy for me and like, I we can be on the phone all day. <laughs> we I can talk to you all day. I can talk to you about whatever because I know that it the energy is reciprocal. And I yeah. think a lot of people don't realize the energies that they are around and yeah. what that does to them. Because yeah. they mask it in, oh, well, that was so much fun. And oh, but I got to hang out with this person and I got to do, and it's like, but how did it make you feel? Like mm. deep, deep down, how does it make you feel? Because if you go home and you don't feel good, like mm, there's something. Yeah, so it really like it. To. It matters who you're surrounded by because if we're thinking about this from a developmental perspective, yeah. right? Like identity is developed in relationship to others, and our initial identity is developed in relationship our to our family our of parents, origin, our family, and yeah, mm-hmm. right. Exactly. And so if, you know, and again, like just because your identity was developed in relationship to those people, that also doesn't mean that that's necessarily your core truth or who you really are on the inside. A lot of our identity ends up being in response to who other people need us to be. And so we kind of carry that type of reactionary identity Mm -hmm. forward through our lives until we either like, you know, aren't alive anymore or we have like that wake up of like, oh my God, like who the hell am I? And I think at that time you get to develop identity again, or at least remember who you are, come back to your truth. But again, if you're surrounded by other people who are going to take you further away from that core truth, you're going to develop another version of a reactionary identity. Right, right. Right. Um, And so support, I mean, one of the things I've been constantly talking about lately is support because I didn't understand. I mean, a lot of people left me like support people, pastors, you know, people who I called aunties and uncles and all of these people in the midst of that toxic relationship kind of all fell off for whatever reason. And we can make excuses for the reasons. Right. Um, I call it the pruning process. So, All of those people, I would have never done that to. 
And so in the midst of me learning myself and realizing like these people made a choice, they made a choice to not be supportive when the option came up and that's okay because I make a choice to support, (laughs) right? And so when I realized and accepted that being okay, it made the people who really did support me kind of highlight because Mm. now I'm like, I know who I want to be around. I know who I miss. I know who I need hugs from. I know all of these people because now I identify with the emotion that's present. Which is right. do they bring and me those joy? people help do you be laugh? more do, right? Yes, more of yourself, more like more of, of your true self. Cool. Yes, exactly. More of who I don't have to pretend around, especially working as a therapist. There's like a blinder. <laughs> there's like a oh, huge yeah. like brick blinder <laughs> when you're working as a therapist. As a coach, it's a little more transparent. Um, yeah. You know, we there's a little bit more of an exchange, but there's still a barrier where we have to still be something like to actually have, you know, the, the, the imagery of like going home and taking your bra off and just being (laughs) like to be able to do that around your core people and knowing you have five people, 10 people who you can literally in all of those spaces, take your bra off. It's not just at home. It's not just in this one space It's such a liberating, like life experience. It is because like a 0% performative relationship, like 0% never. performative. Like you never. get to just show up and that's it. So many people don't have that. No, it's true. So many people don't have that. Just in their everyday life, just in being home by yourself. Like I remember um, in that like year that I was by myself living alone, not really dealing with people. My mom called me and she's like, are you lonely? <laughs> And I'm like, what? (laughs) Am I lonely? And she's like, do you feel lonely? And I'm like, no, I feel complete. Because now I can be in a space without noise. Mm. Whereas before, the reason she asked me that was because before I would never want to be by myself. I would never, you know, like silence at that level. I always needed to be going and doing and because that was my energy. And so she's like calling me every day and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like sitting on the couch with the TV off. <laughs> and she's like, just hanging out with my bad self. And <laughs> with my thoughts. Right. And so when she asked me if I was lonely and it's funny, cause that was a big topic on social media recently, like, Oh, you know, loneliness will kill you. And you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. That was the whole science study that's been coming out is that loneliness, which makes sense because the deep emotion to loneliness is sadness. And so if you are feeling lonely long enough, it will affect your body. Um, So when she asked me that question, I realized like I wasn't. I was perfectly fine being alone because I knew who I could be with to say like, you are still you. You don't have to leave any part of yourself at home. You don't have to be any different type of way. Like you're yourself. And so if it wasn't for that, I don't think I would have been able to be in the relationship that I'm in now Mm. because I would have taken so much junk from that last relationship. I would have kept everybody out. I would have only kept in the people who knew the struggle because then they would have been able to empathize with that version of me that I Mm -hmm. was. And I would have been stuck there. 
because I, like I said, I was okay with never being in another relationship. I was okay with never going onto the dating scene. The apps and all the things didn't really appeal to me. Like I was perfectly fine. And then I realized at that point, like now if I find somebody, it's not a need. It's not a dependency. It's not, it's literally because they want me. Mm. Outside of my support, outside of anything that I can offer them, because that was another thing that I really rallied with was in my relationship, I was very supportive to him. Despite mm-hmm. how he treated me, I was very supportive. And yeah. so if I strip away my support, <laughs> if I say I'm not going to help with anything, I'm not going to give you anything, you just have to take me as I am as is. You either take it, you like it, or you love it, or you don't. Like, that's what it's going to have to be. And that, I put my foot in the ground about that. Um, Because Mm -hmm. one thing that I knew I could not do is be in a relationship where I wasn't authentically me. Um, And I knew that because I was able to do that with my friends. So I knew that if I could be authentically me with other people, I could for sure be authentically me in a relationship. Um, But it was like those little steps that we had to take to get there. Um, Which, I mean, I didn't realize was so hard, but it was. So when I did get into my current relationship, I remember, um, and that's a whole story, um, but we were talking and I, I said to him, one of the things that I have to be sure of is that you don't want to be with me because of what I can do for you. Um, because at the time, like I was making good money, right. As a therapist, um, I had kind of my stuff together. I was living by myself, which wasn't necessarily his situation. So we were, if we're talking about on paper, we were very different. I was kind of higher in status than he was. And so it was one of these things of like, I need to know that you're not trying to abuse who I am as a person. Um, which is really hard to tell somebody because at my core, I'm helpful. So even if it was like, well, I really would like you to check my resume. I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm not looking at your resume. <laughs> I'm, not fix anything. I'm not doing anything for you. Right. Um, which I knew was a trauma wound. I know it's so bad. I knew it was a trauma wound. No, I'm just like, I'm laughing because like, I too have definitely like been on this journey because I'm like, yes, I'm a naturally helpful person. I feel like I just, you know, very like, you know, oriented towards like people pleasing and codependency and all that kind of stuff. I was in a narcissistic relationship in my early twenties where I literally like gave up everything. Like all of you for that person. And it's just so funny because like now, even like if, you know, if my fiance is like, oh yeah, you know, like I can, you know, do this. And I'm like, no, I got it. Like I'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) I do that all the time. It's, that's a whole right residual of mm-hmm. it. Um, but I said, I would put my foot down. Like, I'm not helping you, which I think was really ironic because within that first couple of months, I needed him. So at mm. the time when I met him, I was separated from my ex, um, but we hadn't actually gone through the legalities of like the divorce and all of that. But we were, had been separated for over a year, like living separated and all of that stuff. Um, and so, of course, I had to tell him that, like, I'm technically still legally married. And he's like, so what's the problem? Like, why haven't you guys? And what I said was, you know, I don't want to be the one to have to pay for it all. Because one of the things with my ex was 
as, and I know you probably understand, but they'll continue to make little comments of like, oh, I know I can get you back or um, I'm going to do everything I can because technically we're still together and all of these things. And I had to be around him musically for church. Right. Mm. Um, and so my thing was, if I brought to the table, this is what I want to do. And he's like, well, you're going to have to pay for it. I would have to pay for it because I I'm the one saying I want this and I want to move on and all of the things. Right. Mm. And so I told him that I was very honest. I'm like, look, this is the reason why. And I don't have it myself, but I definitely don't have enough to cover whatever he has to pay. Um, And he literally was like, tell me how much it is. And I was like, I told you I wasn't helping you. (laughs) Like I had to really (laughs) rationalize where I was coming from. Cause I'm like, well, I'm not doing anything for you, but now you're telling me you're willing to pay money to get me out of this situation. And so slowly, but surely I realized like, he doesn't care about what I can do for him. What a narrative shift for you. It was everything about... I will definitely say, like, he's one of the people I prayed really hard for this relationship. And one of the things that God, I always say God is really funny. And I I imagine that he's up there, like, laughing at certain situations that we go through. But I always feel like in healthy relationships or when you get into a healthy relationship, you're always going to be tested by the things that triggered you in your last relationship. Mm. And the question is, how do you process it? And how do they process the scenario? Because the scenarios happen, right? And so the question is, how do you deal with it personally? Do you get triggered? Do you get all like, oh my God, I'm going to right? And then how do they approach the situation? Because they might approach the situation very differently than that last person. And your mm-hmm. brain can now rewire it and say, oh, he's not him. Yep. And so in a very fast, like within the first six months of us dating, a lot of those things were happening. And I feel like the natural instinct of me was like, nope, 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 not going to do it. Cutting this off, not going to do it. And then his reaction to it was like humbling for me Mm. because then he would be so, I mean, he would finesse any situation and make me feel really good and validated and understood and I mean, there were mishaps, right, and slips, but even in the slips, there was reassurance. There was, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to change that. That won't ever happen again. Like, And so my brain wouldn't even allow me to ping them together. Mm. It was like- Rewire those neural pathways, baby. Yeah. I'm like, the, the scenario was similar. I could definitely categorize you if my brain wouldn't forgive, right, the situation. But then that's me. Because you didn't Mm -hmm. actually do anything wrong. You did what was right. And so do I process you and say, you really aren't him. And there are better ways of handling certain situations. And and so now my triggers are being like eased (laughs) and soothed. And so then I got to really grow with him. Because he got to understand, like, I know why you're triggered. I know why you have this resistance. I get it but I'm not him. 
And so with that, I got to process out the things that I didn't even know were still problems for me because that's right, another yeah. thing, right? Relationship triggers only show up in relationships. In relationships. Yep. That's like, I tell like all my <laughs> clients, like, I'm like, when you are looking to heal relationship wounds, relationship trauma, that you, you, you can it's do impossible. some of the work on your own so that yeah. you're in a more regulated nervous system Mindset, state, you learn sure. your tools, like yeah. all that kind of stuff. But yeah. in terms of actually putting it into real time practice that's only going to show up in relationship. Like when Mm -hmm. you actually have that mirror to be reflecting Mm -hmm. it back to you. And so many people are like, Oh, I'm not ready. They don't want to dive in and know it's going to be messy. I tell my friends all the time, like, of course, nobody wants to get into a relationship after being hurt or whatever the case is, but every relationship is Mm -hmm. such a learning step, not about them, about you. What did you take from that? What did you get out of that? What did you like? What did you not like? Like really doing a thorough breakdown and analysis of it so that you can pull and say, okay, the next time, if I see this, that's a no. If I see that, that's a yes. And you really are able to, until you find the right person, kind of like pick and choose which elements to put in and which elements to take out. And then Mm -hmm. when they show up, you're like, that's it. That's what I was looking for. That was the energy. That was a response. That was. And so that's what happened. It was one of these things of in that year that I was by myself, like you said, shifting my mindset. What do I like? What don't I like? What am I willing to provide up front? What am I closing off? And so he and I did like every year was a step. So our first year we dated and nobody knew. Um, because I didn't want people in my business. I didn't want people saying like, oh, she's dating. Oh, who is he? And it was, I, it was so much noise in my last relationship that I really wanted the peace. Um, and so we dated off radar for a year, which all of the triggers and all of the things and all of the support issues and all of the dilemmas happened within that year. Mm -hmm. Um, and nobody knew except for like my really close friends, Um, knew that I was in this relationship going through all of the motions. So by the time we actually started like the relationship, like boyfriend, girlfriend, we were a year Mm -hmm. into already dealing with all of our, all of our junk. Um, And so when people knew who he was, by the time they knew we had taken care of all of our triggers and we had talked about all of the hard stuff and we had established where we were individually and then how we actually do benefit each other balance wise and all of that without the noise, without the chatter, without the, Oh, well, you guys aren't this and Oh, he's that. And Oh, he's not your type. And like all just cut it all out. So by the time we got to the relationship, it was so healthy and so loving and so open and so communicative that it's like, well, what do you need? <laughs> like support gates open. Like what, what do you need from me? Because he showed up before I had to. Yeah. When coming Which from was like, like total game changer for you, like role reversal than what you were used yes. to. In our field and just in our natural, like you were saying, when you were 13, you showed up as somebody who could support. And so to be able to almost have to minimize yourself because somebody is supporting you. Like I remember him saying, like, you talk to people all the time, you're a therapist and you absorb all these people's stuff. Who absorbs yours? 
who do you talk to? Who makes you talk? Who makes you talk about your feelings? And I'm like, nobody. <laughs> and he's like, me. Also, even like that. the fact that he was asking you that, he's like, so observing wow. and attentive to all of that. And even in, even now, I feel myself like kind of isolating sometimes. And he's like, no. And he'll turn on, I call his brain now a therapist brain because I think I've poured <laughs> enough into him where he'll flip it on me. And then I'll hear him say things and I'm like, get out of my head. Because I know that those are the things that I really should be saying to myself. And those, mm, and so in wow. the midst of me unlearning my triggers and figuring yeah. out, like we said, 10 toes down, you're going to know who I am authentically. I didn't realize how when it, in the need for him to really know me, him being the person and my partner to flip the script on me is like... Nobody else can say anything else. <laughs> Nobody else can say anything else to me now because I all of the steps that it took between me, like I said, relearning myself after the trauma, after the fire, mm-hmm. after the relationship, figuring out who my units are, who are like literally my extremities and how they benefit me, then him and how he supports me and how he supports my support systems. It's like the avalanche effect of like happiness. <laughs> like Because most people try so hard not to consider themselves. And how do you get the rest of it to happen if it doesn't start with you? Like, how do you expect happiness and support and trust and love and acceptance and all of these things if you don't feel that about yourself? If you don't love yourself, if you don't accept your good and bad and terrible and great decisions, like, you have to be so okay with yourself to then be able to say, okay, now I'm willing to let other people be okay with me too. And I I don't know if people give themselves that much grace, not like personally or in their relationship. Um, And so, because really the question you, why we even started this long story was because you asked me why I got into coaching. (laughs) So in the midst of all of that backstory, I realized that, People have it wrong, the order of how relationships are supposed to be. And most of us and some of us are figuring that out already in a relationship. And some of us are figuring that out single. But both in both contexts, we're figuring out the same thing is Mm. who are you? Who are you as an individual? Who are you in the right. midst of your relationships? Who are you yeah. in the midst of your friendships? Like who who are you in relation to God? Right? Like, do you understand that you're a daughter or a son of God? Like, do where are you in as far as how you see yourself in relationships? Because if you don't like yourself, if you don't like your decisions, if you don't like how you treat people, if you don't like all of those things, the rest of it just does not go. It's not a well-oiled machine if it doesn't start with you actually paying attention to yourself. Um, And I feel like I learned that the hard way, kind of like the long way away, you know, going through therapy, you know, mental health and doing the whole, it kind of gave me that threading of like, Mm -hmm. this is what's important. This is why people are not happy. This is why, you know, like I said, the stats about loneliness, like, are those people okay being by themselves? Because nine times out of 10, loneliness comes from the partnership. But how are you feeling being by yourself? 
Because you can be alone and not lonely. And so absolutely, I think that's where a lot of it comes down to is we don't, we soothe our loneliness by filling ourselves with all this other stuff. And then we're not really paying attention to that deep down emotion that we feel. Um, And I think that's heavy. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's hard to realize that you don't know who you are. And if you don't know who you are, how can you like, let alone love yourself if you have no idea who you are. And I think that that's where, you know, our generation and hopefully the generations to come, there are more people in parenting roles who are looking at their children being like, Hey, well, like, who, who are you? Like, who right. do you what do, be? you, do like? you want to play soccer or right. do you want to do karate or do you right. want to do nothing and hang out, you know, in the backyard and like dig right. holes in the ground? Like, you holes, know, like what do you want to do? Yeah. Yeah. And the way yeah. I appreciate and I think that, that. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, I think that hopefully, you know, that identity piece is going to be different you know, for the generations that are coming Mm -hmm. up. And I think that that's also where like there is, you know, I tell people all the time that social media is such a double-edged sword because on the one hand, like it's this huge externalizer where we're looking at all these other people and we're comparing and we're doing all this Mm -hmm. other stuff. But at the same time, it broadens your perspective in terms of there's so many different ways to exist in the world. There's so many different ways to show up. There's so many different, you know, interests, hobbies, career paths, right? Usually what we're seeing is, you know, our generation and the generations who are older, like we only really had like our parents, our teachers, our our doctors and like maybe our friends' parents as an example of like what we could be when what we, we grew up. Yeah. Now there's the mm-hmm. whole freaking internet. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's really awesome. I think we millennials are trying really hard to make sure that kids have an identity, um, that they are able to not just take on what we're talking about. Um, Because like you said, I think that's mm-hmm. a part of it is we are naturally conditioned to our environment. And so if we don't have those healthy examples, like even when we're kind of talking about relationships, if we don't have healthy examples of what relationships look like, um, I was just having a conversation with my husband and he's like, you know, if we never saw our parents argue or if we never saw heavy emotion, let's say um, somebody passes away and you're expecting your parents to cry and you're looking at them and there are no tears then clearly your brain says, okay, well, maybe crying is not what you do when somebody passes away, right? And so you have these things where when you get older, you're like, well, why don't I feel these emotions? Well, why don't I? And you're not realizing, like, it really was an example of your environment. And it doesn't have to be negative and it doesn't have to be like something super dramatic, but something as simple as, did you see your parents kiss? Did you see affection? Did you see, you know, when your parents got home, did they cuddle on the couch? Because when you get older and let's say you're dating somebody and they're like, let's cuddle. And you're like, what is that? Don't touch me. Because I never saw anybody ever touch (laughs) me. Anybody got time for that? What are you talking about? Right, like kissing. (laughs) I got to cook dinner and like get all this stuff. Yeah. Right. I I have to work. I have to take care of the house. I have to do 
Like, we don't even know that those are yeah. the reasons why we do and feel the way that we are. Because we do and what's so- modeled for us. Like, it's, and that's where, like, we as human beings, we don't have instincts, like, not right. in the way that, like, other, you know, animals, animals like, have, have instincts. Yeah. Like, yeah. we, we are 1000%, you know, obviously we have genetics, we have intergenerational trauma, we have epigenetics, yeah. there's all that kind of stuff. But in terms of, like, the actual expression, it is whatever is modeled for us. Mm-hmm. So if we did not see it, experience it, it, it therefore does not exist in our reality, right. which is really right. wild yeah. to think about like your how you grew up, the environment that you grew up in, what you saw, the relationships that you were a part of, what you witnessed. That yeah. is 100%, especially that zero through seven, you know, like mm-hmm. window right there. That yeah. is 100% of like what has helped you to develop into whoever you are. Sure. And so then you can either go back in and change that default wiring or you can keep it. But the point is you get to intentionally decide what is actually what serving your you highest good and what's not. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's awesome. Um, it takes introspection. It takes feelings. One of the things that I am probably the most alarmed about and what I've learned talking to kids because I work with kids nine to five right now, right? Yeah. Um, is that everybody wants to detach from feelings. If we're talking mm. about feelings, I don't want anything to do with it. Um, and where that what that ends up doing is perpetuating a lot of impulsive behavior without identifying why. And so if the kids are learning to detach from emotion, they have to be seeing this from adults. And so we talk about being like, you know, desensitized to certain things and all of the, the, all of the terminologies that adults use to try to dissociate from the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but fact of the matter is dissociating from your feelings leaves a big gap for whatever goes, goes. And so the fear is without people realizing their own emotion, it's kind of like, well, then what? What does that mean for the person? What does that mean for their experiences, for the people who are around them, for kids, if that's where they're going, for relationships, if that's Mm -hmm. where they're going? Like, if there is no emotion in it, what are we doing? Yeah. And so to me, coaching in the element of relationship, not just intimate relationships, because those are important. But clearly for me personally, intimate relationship was the last on the list. Yeah. And so for some people, intimate relationships are first, but that also could be real example. Like, how did your parents deal with certain things? Did they just relationship, 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 relationship? Because that's the thing too. But me personally, intimate relationship was last. And so knowing that and understanding the effort that it took to even say, when I got to the intimate relationship, I was still needing more work <laughs> and needing mm. to do... Like people just have to know that it's worth it. Like we put in a lot of work to not get, get what we're getting right. Return of investment does not always come. That's true. Like we talked about with my degree, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Return of investment does not always come. And it's true. But I personally feel like with relationships, they do. Mm. You just have to be willing to put in that investment, the investment of your emotions, your time, your energy, and really like, doing it with the intention of it coming back to you tenfold. Because if you go into it not wanting that or having hesitations or you're already setting yourself up for it not to be where it should at its highest potential. And that's not like, 
you know, saying, oh, reach for the stars and don't be realistic and all of that <laughs> stuff, because now you're in like a whole different element, but being realistic about what you actually want, like yeah. not the fairy tale, not the examples, you personally, what does that look like for you? Then how you see the world is different. Your options are different. What your the availabilities are different because it's not just, oh, I want somebody that looks good because that's they're out there. Or I want somebody with a lot of money. Okay, well, they're out there too. But what else? <laughs> what other characteristics are we looking for that mm-hmm. actually makes you better? Yeah. Me personally, I didn't need a rich, super rich, super busy, super unavailable person. I needed somebody who had more downtime, who was down. Right, yeah, who was who actually was emotionally observant. available, like who able to emotionally attune to you. Yeah. I... Somebody who is a top CEO of a business that travels all over the world would not align with what I personally need in my relationship. But Mm -hmm. I had to know that because in my last relationship, I didn't care what he did. Bye. (laughs) You want to go to the gym? Bye. You need to go somewhere else to do something else? Bye. You have a kid? Bye. Like there was no need, right, of like... I really would prefer you to be around me. And mm-hmm. and so in this relationship, I got that. And it was like, wow, I didn't know how much personally I needed the balance. Um, but then like flip it and talking to like my mom or talking to somebody else, they're like, well, you need somebody with money and you need this and they need to take care of you. And it's like, but I can recognize my emotions. And I can recognize that that would not make me feel good. Mm-hmm. I know balance makes me feel good. I know mm. somebody wanting to take things off of my plate makes me feel good. Having mm. somebody who is as busy as me, nah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. No, nah. I'm, I'm literally, I am the same way. I actually think about this all the time because I, you know, I got the entrepreneurship, you know, going yeah. on and yeah. I am always thinking, I'm always creating, I'm very, mm-hmm. very busy. And my fiance is just like, he's, he's like a, a just like a slow mover, right? Like he really, <laughs> he loves to nap. He loves to relax. He's like he's not out, into sure. like, you know, entrepreneurship or mm-hmm. anything like that. And it's so good because when I'm around him, I'm not talking about my business. I'm right. not, you know, like, he's not like, okay, like let, what's the top five things on your to-do list? Let's right, fucking right, crush right. it. Like he's right. not giving me that energy he's actually giving me the like Rest slow energy. down and like be here mm-hmm. with me like you know and I need that so much and I'm thinking like wow I really knew enough to like call in that balance and I think yeah. again that's where you're saying like we have it backwards and I agree with you I really think that being able to take that time to really get to know yourself so that you are able to call in that person because I know yeah. that when I was doing primarily family therapy and working with kids I would be like working with these kids and I'm like, oh, there's so much I could be doing with them if Mm -hmm. they had a like stable, emotionally regulated family system, but Mm -hmm. they don't. And so I would work with them and then, you know, they go on their merry way and then we'd be back to square one like the week after that that. and all I could do is hope that I had like planted some seeds that they're going to be able to access later in life. But I'm like, you know what? Like, I would really like to be working with the people before they find the person who's like not the good fit or the toxic relationship or is, you know, it's a trauma bond or they're responding to their wounds or whatever that is. Yeah. um, So that they can actually find that person who's a healthy balance for them. Mm -hmm. They can have a healthy relationship and then their family is built on 
that's healthy, stable, sustainable, healthy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm like that, that right there is the game changer. And that's where like, I really love that you still have this piece in your therapy practice, but in your coaching practice, you really are speaking to the fact that like people can start this process at any point, at any point in time, they can start this process. Agreed. Yeah, that's definitely how I feel. Um, Because I mean, I know people who are single who are like, I really want that. And they don't understand why they can't. And they don't understand the blockers that they have. Like we said, until they're in the relationship and then they want to backpedal. And it's like, process that stuff out as much as you can and then get in the relationship and get help, get support, get a coach, get somebody who can say like, get out of your head real quick. Like everything we talked about, that's not, you know, and just really understand because it is a war that you have to go through and saying like, I know how I feel. I know what I'm thinking, but still be willing to take the step, have the faith and the hope that what you're doing is the right direction. Um, And I think people need somebody who has seen both, who's seen Mm. how hard it is, but also sees how it is on the other side to say like, hey, you got it. Just Mm. communicate, just write it out. Just, you know, and if it doesn't go well, that's okay too. Because what you're doing is you're learning those skills. You're learning how to communicate your feelings. You're learning and somebody will see that and be like, wow. You know how you're, you know how to express yourself. You know how to tell me like it is, you know, and the people who don't, they don't. And it's okay. You move on and you move forward until you find it. Because if not, you'll mm-hmm. settle. And if yeah. you settle, then nothing about it is authentic. And you're already going into it knowing that you can't actually reach that potential. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's big. I don't know how many people who are in healthy relationships that are willing to put themselves out there and say, like, it took work, but it's possible. They yeah, just and that's, and glam. It's so true. I, I mean, I'm just, I'm 35. I'm mm-hmm. going to be getting married on my 36th birthday. My wedding date is actually my birthday. Um, I love that you yeah, guys are so, so excited. Right? We freaking finally did. Um, I love it. But that's like, I'm thinking, I'm like, wow, like I'm going to be 36 years old when yeah. I get married. And mm-hmm. younger me would have been like, oh my God, like what, what the hell is wrong with yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. But like mm-hmm. I have had a lot of serious relationships. My family yeah. literally makes fun of me for the amount of serious relationships really? I've had. Uh, my fiance, yes, they do. It, it's like wow. literally a joke when people start dating me that like they don't actually get a Christmas stocking because like they're going to be gone soon. Oh, At no. one point, my mom actually put a laminated pocket in the Christmas stocking so she could change the name oh, in the Christmas God, stocking really. of like the person that I was bringing to Christmas. As funny as that is, also like <laughs> I feel like my feelings would be a little bit hurt by that though like and and that's right it's so like I I kind of just like rolled with it because I was like all right whatever and it's really and my fiance actually was married before and that that's another thing I never thought I would be getting married to somebody who was was divorced not like I ever had a problem with it but I was like 36 and getting married to somebody who has gone through a divorce like wow like this is really different than what younger me thought this was going to look like but I think about like 
all the you know relationships that I've had, I have lived for more than a year with yeah. three different significant others. Okay. Um, and I know that I learned so much. I healed so mm-hmm. much. I got a better understanding of myself. Yeah. My fiance and I actually have known each other for a really long time. We okay. were we actually went to the same high school. And oh, yeah. we know that if we had gotten together in our like in our 20s mm-hmm. when we were yeah. kind of together before, it would not have worked out, right? But because mm-hmm. of everything that we've learned yeah. in our time apart coming back together, we're now able to be in this Much really amazing, healthy it. relationship. Yeah. yeah. Yes, like 1000%. And I think about that a lot because I'm like, wow, it was only because I was willing to go through the pain of heartbreak because it is freaking painful. painful. Nobody wants to go through heartbreak. It is, it's, and I think that's why so many people avoid it because you literally feel like you're not going to survive it. It hurts that bad. And then you don't want to think about how to do it again. So that's another part. You don't. Yeah. It it is another part of it. And I think that that's also where like having a therapist, having a coach is really, really helpful because you have that having supportive friends, right? Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. you know that, okay, even if I'm going to get in this relationship, even if it's going to end, and even if I'm going to have to go through heartbreak again, I know that I'm going to be able to survive it because of me. Right. And that's where when you have that foundation, you have those supports, you can go through that journey in mm-hmm. a much different way than if you're, again, like in, in a very emotionally dysregulated state where you're just like, yeah. ah, I can't, it's better just to stay in the, the in comfort bubble. of this chaos. Mm-hmm. Right. Than to go out on a limb and mm-hmm. go through the discomfort of heartbreak. And I think also yeah. like of the other person, most of the time, again, like it's different in every situation, but the other person, they're not wanting to go through heartbreak and discomfort either, right? right? right. So like you can both be in a super toxic relationship and neither y'all are going to want to leave. And right. so then that's when we end up, it's like 10 years later, you have two kids and you're like, wow. Why am I this really I'm still here? Like, mm-hmm. I'm still here. <laughs> and I've met people like that. Like, wow, I didn't make a decision and I'm still We all know people like that. I'm sure there's going to be people listening yeah. to this episode who are like, mm-hmm, yeah. Who are mm-hmm. a little stuck in their situation. Yeah. And if in a part, like you said, is now that you're stuck, you really don't want to feel your feelings. You don't want to feel the disappointment. You don't want to feel the grief. You don't want to feel it. And so you're like, well, you don't want to be honest with your therapist and hear that you're crazy. <laughs> Take it from me. Um... But then you'll have people who say, like, well, it's about the kids now. And it's like, is it? Like, what What does that do for you as a person? As an, Because, again, you're pouring into your kids. What are you modeling, right? Going right. back to that. Like, what are you right. What are you modeling? Um, and I think it's yeah. important. I think those conversations, we don't realize. Like, like you mentioned, I didn't realize it until I worked with kids either. Um, and then I'm, like, mm-hmm. talking to kids and I'm, like, I know your environment is what's triggering you. So (laughs) we can't change the environment. We have to change you. Like those are really the conversations that you have to have with kids, which is really disheartening. But as it is, it's it's not fair, right? Like it's not fair. fair. That shouldn't be their burden to carry. But again, like it has to start change has to start somewhere. Yeah. And it, it starts with you and it starts with identifying what those feelings are. And then if they are unbearable, finding a therapist or finding a coach, depending on what level you're at. Um, because if it's really deep mm-hmm. and it's really heavy, therapy is where you need to go. And if it's just therapy, a matter right? of, yes, that's, yeah, you if know. it's super deep and it's maybe really deep rooted and maybe trauma or whatever therapy, yep. if you're like, mm-hmm. I'm ready yep. for this relationship, 
I just need to figure out my roadblocks really quickly. And now I'm motivated. I'm ready. Find the coach. Either way, though, Mm -hmm. it's addressing your emotion and it's addressing Mm -hmm. who you want to be in your present self right now, because a lot Mm -hmm. of people are living in their past, in their mind. They're here. They're here. They're looking at you. They're in your your space, but their thought process is in the past. And so to say like, okay, but right now, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. what you think has happening. And this is like right here, right now, what are you feeling? Because if yeah. that's disappointment, if that's fear, if that's whatever, insert emotion here, you can attack yeah. that. <laughs> it's attackable, yep. but you have to know the emotion that is the root of why you're not able to, yeah. or why you're holding back or why it is. And then let somebody help you out of that. Cause it's much harder yeah. by yourself. Oh yeah. One million percent. Like I think all the time, like I, you know, like I can't therapist myself. I can't coach myself. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. I have my support people that I go to who are not in any way, shape or form emotionally attached to me. They're not a part of my life. I'm not in any relationship with them other than like a professional coaching or therapy relationship. They are a truly Mm -hmm. neutral, objective person, which again, going back to what we were talking about earlier, if you're working with a therapist or a coach and they are projecting onto you, you don't feel safe. You cannot be honest. Like all of those Please. things, huge red flags. If somebody's working Please. with you in this capacity, you need to make sure that they are a truly neutral, objective yes. party and they're doing their own inner work. So they're not bringing yes. their unconscious bias into mm-hmm. your sessions and projecting mm-hmm. their crap onto you. Like mm-hmm. 1 million percent important. And I think, again, like it's so important for, I would say like everybody to be able to have at least one of those persons in their life, even if you're not seeing a therapist or a coach regularly, but like have somebody that you've established some type of relationship with that if you're hitting that roadblock, you can, you know, reach out and be like, Hey, like I really Mm -hmm. need a session. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling super activated. Like every time my husband leaves for work and I have no idea why, and I need somebody to process this through with me. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's responsible for your shit. Are out here for it. <laughs> I will say that before, even I can say before COVID, like people just had to go see a therapist. That was the option. Like, oh, you're feeling some kind of way? Go see a therapist. I think now mm-hmm. there's so mm-hmm. many resources and things available for people to do exactly what you just said. Hey, this is a problem I'm seeing now. <laughs> I don't understand what's going on. I don't know if it's him. I don't know if it's me. I need help. And actually being able to just spot check a situation. I think mm-hmm. before mental health was seen as you had to be crazy. You had to be a right. Like it had to be some type of like issue. medical diagnosis. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. No, yeah. It does not have to be that. It really can be moment by moment. Like, I don't understand why I'm so dysregulated right now. Mm-hmm. And knock it out. Because if you don't actually pay attention to it, the alternative is... You suppress how you feel. You suppress what it does to you. Yep. You get resentful. You do all of these things, and then you have an attitude. <laughs> and then you're yeah. not comfortable. Yeah, and that's one of the home. reasons. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's one of the reasons I am such a huge advocate for people making sure that they do have, you know, whether it's a therapist or a coach or whatever, but like you haven't established a relationship with somebody who can meet you where you're at. And again, like therapy, I really tell people a lot, like therapy is basically like, you know, you do all that work through like K through 12, right? Mm -hmm, And then mm -hmm. if you want to go to like graduate school, that's like coaching. You have your good foundation, you have your emotional regulation, you know, for the most part, we're not running into crisis or like anything like that. Yeah. 
Right. Like you're, you're physically safe. Your emotions are like pretty much like in check. You have a safe environment that you're in, like all that kind of stuff. But like, there's still things in terms of identity or communication or narratives, core beliefs, like all that kind of stuff that you're like, Ooh, I really need help with this. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, like get out there and establish a relationship with a coach. So kind of speaking of that a little bit, I know that you do offer this type of work. Who do you work with specifically? And like, how do you work with them? If people are listening to this and they're like, I need you. (laughs) I need you. (laughs) So I actually have two main offers. I have one-on-one coaching. So I don't unfortunately offer therapy. Therapy in California has a lot of technicalities. Um, Like you mentioned before, California just, it's a lot that happens in California. So right now, um, private practice wise, I don't do therapy, but coaching I do, I do offer. Um, And so I have a one-on-one package that I have, um, which is um, a certain amount of calls, depending on if you want it weekly or bi-weekly. But it's, I'm very solution focused. So if we're talking about therapy, Mm -hmm. I'm really big on like, let's drive this and get this done. Um, where therapy is very much slow paced and at your pace and really like, you know, I'm like, let's do it. (laughs) I'm going to push you. I'm going to motivate you. Right. Um, and so for the one-on-one coaching, I'm big on, of course, my platform is relationships. So that could be with yourself. It could be you're having friend issues or trying to figure out what your support systems look like. It could be an intimate relationship. It could be parent relationship um, because my hands are everywhere because I have the mental health mm-hmm. element of school. Um, I've done substance work, you know, in the substance community. I've done autism. Or we're talking about kids on the spectrum. I do kids now. So my experience is everywhere. Um, and then, of course, my own life experiences. Um, and so the one-on-one option is there. Um, but I also offer a, a couples program, um, which I'm super Oh my gosh. I feel like with. everybody is looking for a couples coach. I have Adele, a tell me program. more. Yes. So um, it's a... It's a four month program, but with it, there's also like a six month check in. So um, Mm -hmm. there's a really awesome assessment that I offer um, created by this company called Prepare and Rich. And it's an assessment that you would do individually in your relationship. And it gives a really thorough breakdown of Mm. different things like the relationship values, uh, family values. If religion is a thing, where do you see things about religion? Um, Kids, your thought process about kids and family, gender roles, finances. I mean, it's such a a thorough report um, of cognitions, of different statements, what's priority to you, right? And so- Mm. um, I love a good assessment. (laughs) Oh oh my God. As a therapist, like it was one of the things that, to be honest, really drove me opening this program because outside of the intake paperwork- Yeah. Outside of the intake paperwork that we know as mental health, you know, clinicians, there aren't really couples assessments. Gottman has a few worksheets, um, but that's not an assessment. And I feel like um, part of the issue when we talk about not having, you know, knowing our emotions is that we don't know what information is relevant. We don't Mm. know, you know, unless we're asked certain things, we don't really know how we think about certain things and if they align, right? Um, And so this questionnaire pulls a lot of information and then plugs it all together. And so for me, on my side, when I get that report, 
I can sit down and we can talk about strengths, what rated really high for both partners, what rated low, what's kind of off scale as far as how people, how they think. Um, and then really personalizing the program to what those weak points were and using the strengths to kind of blend it all together. Um, so there could be worksheets, there could be assignments, there could be activities that you'd have to do between those biweekly sessions in order to kind of re reflame, I guess, those things that were maybe a little lower on the spectrum. Um, and get those tools and learn all of those skills. And then we rehash six months at, at the six month check-in. So it's two months after the last session um, to say like, hey, so how's everything going? You know, with the tools, with the activities, with all the things that we've broken down, where are you guys at now? Um, and mm-hmm. I think what that does is it's a full, it would appear to be six months how it breaks out. Um, but without you having to guess or think about well, what should we talk about and what are our problems and where are we? The assessment cuts all of that out. And then it's really up to the couple to show up and just explore deeper into the things that the assessment was able to say, like, this is we're a little off. So let's talk about this statement. You know, if the statement is, um, I don't want to have kids after 40, right? And let's say one person ranks really high and the other one ranks low. Okay, let's talk about it. What does kids after 40 Mm. look like? I didn't have to pull that out of you. You let me know in the questionnaire that that was how you felt. And so it opens up space for the things that you didn't know to say, like, now let's explore them. And you have a space to explore them with somebody who wants you guys to stay together. Right. Um, And so the (laughs) the awesome thing about the program is you can be at any level of the relationship. So you can say, I just started dating and I want to know where we are. I want to know how we think. I want to know if we're aligned. You could be at the premarital counseling stage where you're like, I'm getting ready to get married and there's certain things that I just want to be sure about. Um, You could be at the already married 10 years stage where you're like, we've been married and something doesn't feel right and we don't really know what's going on. So let's do like... You can be literally at any part, whether it's foundational or maintenance or repar- like reparative or whatever, the program fits you everywhere. Um, and wow. so what I'm going to do is I'm realizing that a lot of people, that fear of being open is there. Um, and so what I think I'm going to do is have a mini offer that I'm going to start offering in June which would just be the quick getting to know you session, the assessment, and then like a summarization session for people who just oh, want to I know. love that. So that'll definitely be something that is live and happening yes, by the time it's going to be live and active, comes out. probably That's right awesome. after our anniversary. We our anniversary is the first weekend, the first of June. So after that, I'll probably launch that mini offer um, because I'm realizing that. Some people just want to know, not necessarily that they want the coaching element of it, because that is beneficial to be able to have somebody. But sometimes it's just a, I just want to know. I want to know if we're thinking the same. I want to know where we're at. Um, And that offer would be much, much less, Um, super affordable. Um, Right now, I'm thinking $200 is my my price point for that program. Wow, Um, that would like... 
Yeah, I'm keeping so it so generous because I think that that's like a huge, huge I think it's jumping great. off point for a lot yeah. of people. And I know because a lot of it is really just being able to open that up and have those conversations. Right. And having feeling like you have the space to do that and having somebody who can direct it mm-hmm. and it's not messy. Um, and like I said, it doesn't have that underlying like incentive to do oppositional work. Like to me, I like to challenge and I like being confrontational with the purpose of growth. And so I know, and I'll say it just like this because I'm confident about it. I know that if people were to tap into the mini offer before going into coaching, that my rapport would make them want to go into coaching because I know that there are different things. And you really, like I said, you don't really know sometimes all of the things that are going on. Um, so we mm-hmm. even did it when I first, you know, had the program yeah. started. I did it with him. And so we had to like a sit down, like, what do you think our problems are? Right. <laughs> um, and then we went through the questionnaire and we were right. We were right about the things that we thought might have been lacking um, and have been very intentional because mm-hmm. one of the things that were low was leisure time. Um, because during COVID, when that was our dating year, actually, was when we were working a girlfriend. <laughs> I was like, yeah, we're going to pop out and everybody's going to be around you. And then COVID hit. Um, but in that year, we had so much time. I was still working remote, you know, with therapy, but he wasn't. He was off. And so we had a lot of quality time. We did a lot of traveling together because mm-hmm. everything was shut down. We did a lot of things. Yeah. And so when life started to life again, we didn't have as much time to do leisure activities yeah. and to do. And that was starting to affect our intimacy. And we didn't Mm. know it until we took the assessment and we were like, that's it. It was the leisure time and our leisure activities. And so when we now we do date nights like every other week and we try to do different things. And so I know that automatically lifts that bar, but then it lifts the intimacy bar because now we're kind of working on what we knew or we didn't know at the time was our, our pain point. Um, and so I'm really excited about that program because I, I know that once people's eyes are open to what it really is, then it's like, well, what are we going to do about it? And that's when it's like, yeah. like, let me show you my little bow that I'm going to put on my head and tell you that I'm the <laughs> gift, <laughs> that I'm the gift that's going to show up and help you rationalize through this stuff. Um, mm. and so those are really what I'm offering now. So, At any level, you know, if you're the single who's like, I want that healthy relationship and I just don't know where I'm at, the one-on-one coaching is there for you. If you're already in a relationship and it's just a matter of refining, reinforcing, strengthening, right, the the things of my mission, um, if that's where you are, then the couple's option is available to you too. Um, And both of them, like I said, are accessible at any time, at any place on that spectrum where you find yourself. Oh, that is so amazing, Shardell. I so appreciate you coming on and sharing your story so intimately, your wisdom, all of your amazing resources. This was such a really good conversation. We haven't really talked about relationship stuff too much on the podcast. And like, you know, I'm a MFT too. So like, like, yeah, like really fitting for you to come on and for us to have this conversation today. I so appreciate your time and we will absolutely drop all of your links and everything in the show notes for everyone to get connected with you. Um, and real quick before I let you go, where do you hang out the most and where can people get in contact with you? 
I am mostly on Instagram. While I do have a TikTok, um, TikTok to me, I'm trying to create it into a more personal um, thing. Instagram was a very personal page for me before I created it into my business page. Um, and when I did convert it into my business page, it took a lot of my personal um, emotions out of it. And I, I try to balance, but there's a certain persona, like we talked about before, that as a coach mm-hmm. in that platform, I have to be. Um, so you can find me on TikTok. People do find me on TikTok. Um, but if we're talking about really wanting to connect on the level of like my offers and the things that I'm posting regarding my business, it would be Instagram um, at the Lighthouse Perspective. Um, All right. Yeah. And also I want to mention really quickly, the freebie that I gave you um, was a truth or dare game. I actually did a couple's uh, 21 day challenge Mm -hmm. last year. And in the midst of the 21 days was a truth or dare game that uh, my husband and I had created. And so I pulled that and I made that the freebie to offer to anybody who is in a relationship and just wants to try a really fun truth or dare game. Um, it's it's really cool and really creative. So I just wanted to make sure that people had access to that um, as a fun kind of intimacy builder that people can do. Yes. Thank you so much for that, Chardell. And again, we will have all of that linked in the show notes for all of you. I appreciate your time so very much. Thank you for being no, on thank today. Thank you. There you have it. Another episode of the Sacred Leadership Podcast on the books. I hope your time spent here served you and nourished you. Join us every Tuesday for more honest conversations and powerful insights. Remember, exceptional leaders share the wealth. Send this episode to someone who would benefit, leave a review to let others know about the show, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Talk to you soon.